So let me be really clear. It's not up to me to decide whether anyone should join a union. But let me be even more clear. It's not up to an employer to decide that either. The choice to join a union is up to the workers, full stop, full stop. That was President Biden offering a powerful pro-union message on Twitter, touted by some as the strongest endorsement of labor unions ever from an American president. And although Biden didn't mention it, there was no secret about why he's doing it now. It comes as one union is locked in a bitter battle with Amazon to organize workers in a Bessemer, Alabama facility, a contest that is drawing national attention. No company has profited more from the COVID pandemic than Amazon. Its revenues and profits have soared, as has the mega wealth of billionaire founder Jeff Bezos. But while Amazon executives mostly work from home on their laptops, the employees who fill the orders and send the goods we all buy from the company work in crowded warehouses, risking their health and safety. We'll talk to the president of the union seeking to organize the Bessemer facility, Stuart Applebaum, and then we'll talk to a Democratic congressman from Michigan who is backing the campaign, Andy Levin, on this episode of Skullduggery. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of president of the United States. I will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend Constitution of the United States. So help me God. 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 I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. So I don't know about you, but every day uh, on my street, the Amazon trucks arrive delivering goods to my house and all our neighbors. Uh, You see a lot more of them these days than you ever did before the pandemic hit. And it's just a reminder of how this one company has come to dominate our lives and the American economy. You know, it's a paradox uh, because on the one hand, like you, I mean, just a few hours ago, I went out there and and got an Amazon package. I mean, it makes our lives a lot easier. You know, you push a button on your computer and, you know, sometimes the package is there a few hours later. But on the other hand, particularly during this pandemic, it, it accentuates the huge disparities in our society and in our economy right now. And I think that there's a lot about those disparities and the extent to which companies like Amazon are so much part of our daily lives that um, people are beginning to realize that they have to be reined in, that they are a big part of the problem. Absolutely. You know, uh, it, it really hit home for me last year when we had those two Amazon whistleblowers on and just reminding us that right in the middle of the pandemic, I mean, it's almost Dickensian when you think about it. You know, the Amazon, the, the wealthy Amazon executives all working under the same relatively pleasant conditions in our home, not exposing ourselves uh, to COVID, while the workers who are filling all those orders are forced to go into warehouses, very little transparency about how many were getting sick and testing positive, um, but clearly exposed in ways that none of the people who run the company were. You know, it's really striking when you put this one company under a microscope and see the inequality and disparities between the people at the top 
and the people who actually, you know, fill all those orders. I just want to make one other point uh, before we get to the show. Mother Jones did an excellent uh, investigation the other day, finding uh, 247 former U.S. government officials who have been hired uh, by Amazon in recent years, uh, 150 of them from the intelligence uh, and law enforcement field, just top officials of the Justice Department, FBI, the Pentagon, and the White House, a former senior counsel to then-Senator Kamala Harris, is now one of the top in-house lobbyists for uh, Amazon. And of course, we can't forget our old friend Jay Carney, former uh time competitor of ours, then press secretary to uh, Barack Obama, and is now like the chief yeah. corporate spokesman for Amazon. Yeah. There, I mean, there's clearly a, a, a reckoning um, that's taking place here. And just the last point I wanted to make just on the politics of it all is that, you know, I'm sitting there Monday morning um, drinking my coffee and reading my papers. And you know, I practically spit out my coffee when I start reading, you know, about this statement uh, that Joe Biden gave and the reaction from union bosses, um, from progressive members of Congress, and from even people like uh, Faiz Shakir, who was uh, Bernie Sanders' campaign manager, talking about Joe Biden like he's the second coming of, of FDR. Uh, it is so rare these <laughs> these days that a that a president does something that has the kind of at least symbolic impact that that Joe Biden did in, in this statement. And to hear people so far on the left praising uh, Biden in that way was just kind of striking to me. Yeah, well, there's a political take to this that we'll get into in our discussion with Andy Levin. You know, all those uh, blue collar workers who have been voting for uh, Trump and Republicans in recent and, and years. And not just blue collar workers, but union workers. Trump union ate workers. into the, the union vote. Uh, in ways that we had not seen for a long time since Ronald Reagan. There was a political reason for Biden to do this, and um, as well as the simple effort for some justice to those uh, to those workers in Bessemer. He is middle class Joe, though, and he <laughs> okay. has been a supporter of unions for a long time, as Goff. All right. OK, I won't take that away from uh, <laughs> our president. Anyway, uh, a lot to talk about here. So let's get to it. We now have with us Stuart Applebaum, the president of the Retail Wholesale and Department Store Union, which is organizing the Amazon workers in Bessemer, Alabama. Stuart, welcome to Skullduggery. It's good to be with you. Just wanted to start out with that pretty extraordinary uh, Twitter message that President Biden did the other night endorsing the right of workers to unionize without fear of any intimidation. Um, that surprised a lot of people. What did you make of that? It was magnificent. It is the most pro-union message we have ever heard from a president of the United States. Ever. <laughs> yes. Yes. When, when I when I read that, uh, you know, of course, you immediately think of FDR, and it was so interesting to hear that uh, even FDR didn't go uh, that far. Uh, so, what was it specifically about what Biden said that was so important? And then we really should step back and talk about what the uh, workers are trying to do in that warehouse. I think what Biden did 
which was so crucial, was that he reminded people that the policy of the United States is to support collective bargaining. And he talked about the importance of unions and what it is that unions are able to do, the difference a union can make in your life to protect you from discrimination, to get good pay and benefits. And I also think he really called out employers, especially like Amazon, that use aggressive anti-union tactics. He talked about how this vote is the workers' vote. The employer does not tell you how to vote. You make up your mind on your own. And that's so crucial because the people are facing such pressure from Amazon in the warehouse. It's important for them to know that the president of the United States has their back. Let's talk just a little more about the politics of this before we get into the details of Amazon, because, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't see this coming. Um, I think people had a general idea that Biden was sympathetic to unions coming from where he did and what his sort of political background was. How do you explain why he made that statement? Uh, Was there pressure coming from people within the Democratic Party, from unions? What what was it, do you think, gave you that statement that you say is the most pro-union statement you've ever seen from an American president? Well, I don't think it should be a surprise for any of us. When Joe Biden was campaigning for president, he said this is exactly who he was. He talked about unions more than any other nominee that I have ever heard. Um, He talked about how he was a union guy. I think he even referred to himself that way. And he's delivering on exactly what he said he was going to do. And I think it's so important for our country that if we want to achieve all the things that are so necessary, it's important that we have a strong middle class, and that comes about through strong unions. I can't underestimate how important that message was. Let me turn the question around uh, just for a second. You said it's not that surprising that Joe Biden did what he did. Why did it take until Joe Biden was president for a president to speak that strongly in support of unions? Why hasn't this happened all of these years? Well, I think you can't hide yourself from the truth that income inequality in this country has reached um, extraordinary levels. And I think that the pandemic itself has pulled back the curtain on how so many low-wage workers are being treated in this country. Low-wage workers were the essential workers. Low-wage workers were the people who continued going to work and exposing themselves to the virus. And I think that there's a greater recognition now than there's been in a long time as to the contribution all workers make. And President Biden is standing with these workers and with all workers. So so what is the, the union fighting for in, in Alabama? What, what do workers want? I think first and foremost, people want to know that when they go to work, they don't have to put their safety and even their lives on the line in order to earn a living. People feel betrayed by their employers during the pandemic, and that's true of people who work for Amazon as well. 
Too many people got sick and died in Amazon facilities. They felt that Amazon did not do enough, did not even try to do enough to protect them, and we saw the results. And Amazon was not transparent about that at all. But even before the pandemic, Amazon's health and safety record was atrocious. Too many people were getting sick and dying even before the pandemic. People are also concerned about the wages they receive. Amazon says it's a great wage that people are getting. It's below the median wage in the area. It's below what other warehouses in the area pay. And I think what's even worse is that Amazon was giving its employees hazard pay at the beginning of the pandemic and then ended it at the end of May. The pandemic did not end at the end of May. People continued to go to work, continued to face danger, and Amazon took away their hazard pay. And it wasn't because it was economically necessary. Jeff Bezos is probably the greatest pandemic profiteer in the country. Amazon did extraordinarily well during the pandemic. I think it's Oxfam that said that if Jeff Bezos gave every one of his employees a bonus of $105,000, he would still be wealthier now than he was at the beginning of the pandemic. And people didn't see why their hazard pay should have been taken away. People are concerned about the way they're treated in the workplace. They feel dehumanized and mistreated. It's a big issue for you if you even want to go to the bathroom. If you go to the bathroom, you may not be able to meet your quota. You may be disciplined. You may lose your job. There's this phrase that's used, making rate. The workers are actually um, essentially being being watched as they're working, right? What is what is making rate? Every motion they make is surveilled. Every motion they make is watched. They are managed by an algorithm. It's the algorithm determines what it is they're supposed to be doing and whether or not they're meeting those requirements. They're managed by an algorithm. They're disciplined by an application on their phone. They're terminated by text message. People don't see that as being respected. People feel that the robots in the facility get more respect than the human beings. So this is about a warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama, in which 5,800 workers are employed. Amazon says that the starting wage is $15 an hour, which is more than double the average wage in the area, Um, $15 plus benefits. Why isn't that good enough? They're comparing apples to oranges. The wage is better than if you were working at a McDonald's, but it's below what other warehouses in the area are paying, and it's below the median wage in the area. So actually, Amazon is dragging down the median wage. And we just talked about how Amazon cut the wages from what they were at the end of May. And I think that a lot of people tell us that no matter what they pay us, it doesn't matter if they don't respect us, if they don't treat us with respect. You're not supposed to sell your humanity for this wage. 
Um, people expect more from their employer, and rightfully so they do. People are not happy at this facility. If they were, we would not be holding an election now. More than a majority of the workers at this facility signed cards saying they wanted a union. That does not happen if you're happy with what's going on. And what's even more amazing is they did that in the first year that the facility has been open. It normally takes a longer period of time for people to become disconnected. People knew right away these jobs are bad and something needs to be done. Let me give you one other figure. Amazon has greater than a 100% turnover rate at its facilities, which means that if you employ 5,000 people during the course of the year, you're going to have to hire more than an additional 5,000 people to work there because so many people are going to have left. They can't take the job. What do I order from Amazon that's going to come from Bessemer, Alabama? Just about anything you want. Everything that's shipped from any Amazon facility is being shipped from this warehouse. How has this election um, been going? How has Amazon fought back? Have they have there been uh, efforts to uh, intimidate workers uh, at all from organizing? Um, what's their response been? This has been the most aggressive anti-union campaign we've ever seen. Throughout the facility, there are signs, posters, banners telling you to vote no. If you go to the hand sanitation station, Next to each sanitizer, there's a placard telling you to vote no. If you go to the bathroom and you go into a stall, they have placed anti-union literature at eye level if you're sitting on the toilet. They are sending multiple text messages every day to um, employees They are calling them at home. People can't find a supervisor, a human being on the floor at the facility. But now the supervisors are calling them at home to tell them to vote no. And Amazon held captive audience meetings where people are required to come and listen to lectures as to why unions are bad and you don't need them. If someone raises a question, at the meeting, someone goes over and takes a photograph of their name identification. Um, how intimidating is that? And they say it's just so we can answer your questions better later on. Amazon has been lying to people. Amazon is telling people that if the union comes in, it's going to cost you a lot of money. You're going to have to pay union dues. This is Alabama. This is a right to work state. Nobody ever has to pay a penny to a union in a right to work state unless they want to. And they don't have to they don't have to join the union. They do not have to join the union. They will never have to pay dues unless they decide to. And yet Amazon's saying, well, if the union comes in, it's going to cost you a lot of money. So what are they afraid of? What is Amazon afraid of here? They are afraid 
that people are going to be able to push back against the working conditions that are horrifying people around this country and around the world at Amazon facilities. Their business model is to feast on public subsidies, to pay little or no taxes, and to dehumanize and mistreat their employees. And they don't want to change their business model. We've seen that over and over and over again. And Amazon knows that if we win here, there are going to be elections at their warehouses across the country. Because this is the, is this the first, uh, this would be the first warehouse or fulfillment center to be unionized? Not only is it the, it would be the first to be unionized, this is the first one where there's ever been an election like this. There was an election about seven years ago for a few dozen technical employees who are looking to join another union, but no one has ever sought to unionize an entire warehouse. 5,800 people. And they're afraid, rightfully so, that this is going to light a fuse and spread all across the country. Is there any chance that um, that if Amazon loses here uh, the, the election, that they'll pull up stakes um, and, and move their facility uh, elsewhere? I, I, what I wonder is is whether there's been a kind of a, bar, a devil's bargain uh, with local government because clearly they create a lot of jobs. I mean, they are a huge employer, which uh, municipalities and, and localities care a lot about, and and politicians care about. Even though, even though the wages they pay people keep them in poverty and dependent on government services. Even though Amazon is known for paying very little in taxes, very little is going back to Bessemer from Amazon. And I think that they're spreading the rumor that all these consequences will happen if the union comes in, including the possibility that they will just shut down this facility that they opened in March of last year. If they were to do that, if they were to do that, there would be an extraordinary uproar in this country if Amazon said we're shutting down this plant because people wanted to have a union and voted fairly to have a union. What, if anything, has Jeff Bezos, the world's richest man, said about this? I mean, has he directly addressed the issue in Bessemer? I have not heard him directly say something about this election. It doesn't mean he hasn't. But people are operating according to what they believe he wants. I thought what was interesting was when he gave up the title of CEO, his role didn't change at all. He just changed his title. He's still in control. He's still running everything. And what was interesting about that title change was he chose to do it on the day the government announced that Amazon was going to have to pay something like $62 million because they stole tips from their drivers. They stole tips from their drivers. And so what he did was a Trump-like move. He said, "Um, I'm changing my title. And people talked about that. 
rather than talking about the other Amazon story on the exact same day, that Amazon had been cheating their drivers out of tips and stole their drivers' tips. You know, uh, you mentioned uh, the pandemic and how their profits have soared in the uh, in the pandemic. Uh, last year, we had a um, couple of Amazon whistleblowers on the show um, who talked about uh, just the disparity, not just the wage disparity from Amazon executives, uh, you know, in Washington state uh, and across the country who can work from home on their laptops and not be affected while all the uh, the workers in facilities like the one in Bessemer are exposed uh, and, and, and risking their health uh, during a pandemic. What's been the situation in Bessemer? Have uh, how many of the employees have tested positive? What? What can you tell us on that score? Well, I think that you may be surprised to hear this, but Amazon has not been transparent on what's been going on at its facility. We're not surprised because that's what the whistleblowers told us. But <laughs> Yeah, right before, you know, while the government was conducting the hearing on this election, the big question was whether or not the voting should be done in person or by mail ballot. Amazon was insisting that the election be in person for 5,800 people in um, the middle of a pandemic in a state with one of the highest infection rates in the country. That's how little they cared about the health and safety of their own employees. But what was particularly interesting was right before this happened, we received reports of deaths and increased numbers of people being infected at this facility. In Bessemer. So there, there were employees who died from COVID. In Bessemer. Do you know how many and how many got sick? I don't have those numbers. My office may have those numbers, but I myself don't. Mr. Applebaum, if your union wins this election, what is that going to say about the future of work in America, workers' rights, uh, the relationship between labor and management? And where do you go next? Two important questions. On the first question, I think you've got it exactly right. The importance of this election transcends Alabama. It even transcends Amazon. It's about the future of work and how people are going to be treated. Amazon is right now the second largest employer in the country. It is so large. It's transforming industry after industry. It's dominating industries. And it's setting the model for what work is going to look like. And I believe that the reason this has gotten so much attention is because people understand how important the election is in determining what work is going to be like in the United States in the future. We cannot ignore Amazon because of the impact it's going to have on all of us when it comes to working conditions. And when this election is over, we understand this is just the beginning. This is one warehouse at Amazon. We're already hearing from people all over the country who want a union in their warehouses too. 
this election has the potential to light a fuse that's going to result in an explosion of union activity, not just at Amazon, but at employers all across this country. People are emotionally connected to what is going on in Bessemer at this point. I think it's because so many people have been reliant on Amazon through the pandemic. And I think your message is, is, is sort of, you know, getting through to those people that there are real life impacts on the workers who are providing all the goods that we are ordering from Amazon. Just final question. The voting goes on all month. We started February 8th when the ballots were mailed out. Mm -hmm. Ballots are due by March 29th. We hope the votes are counted quickly afterwards. How uh, optimistic are you you will prevail at this point? I know that most workers at the plant have said they wanted a union. I know Amazon is using desperation tactics to prevent that from happening and is trying to make people afraid to vote for the union. And um, we'll see what happens, but I feel good. Well, I want to thank you for joining us, and we will certainly be watching to see what the results are in the voting in Bessemer. Great. Thank you very much. We now have with us Congressman Andy Levin of Michigan. Congressman, welcome to Skullduggery. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so uh, I wanted to start out by uh, talking a little bit about uh, President Biden's pro-union statement the other day on Twitter. Uh, you come from a area of the country where unions have traditionally been quite strong, the Detroit area. What did you make of the president's statement and what can you tell us about how it came about? Dude, I don't just come from a strong union place. I'm the union organizer in Congress. I started okay. organizing nursing home workers with SEIU in 1983. Oops, revealing my age. And I mean, talk about Biden's statement. I was the staff attorney for President Clinton's Labor Law Reform Commission. How cool was that for me? But how much did it stink for America's working class? Because it meant that instead of doing something to restore the freedom to form unions and bargain collectively in America, Bill Clinton was creating a blue ribbon commission to study it. Yeah, I was going to say, we never heard anything like what we just heard from Biden from Bill Clinton. Right. And so, you know, I've seen Jimmy Carter, I've seen Bill Clinton, I've seen Barack Obama, and now here we have Joe Biden. And that is the best statement in a circumstances of a David and Goliath labor struggle in America that I've seen from a sitting Democratic president. I mean, obviously, FDR and Truman, <laughs> but that's back in the day, right? This is really, really significant to have a president referencing workers in Alabama and saying it's your decision, not the boss's decision, you know, form a union. I thought it was terrific. And do you know anything about how it came about? Well, I mean, I can tell you, I don't really, but what I can tell you is that I, you know, I speak to folks at the White House and I, long ago, I don't know if it was December or early January, you know, I spoke to one of his closest aides and I said, you know, I just want you to understand the gravity of this situation, 5,800 there's almost never union elections that big at all, first of all. 
and 5,800 overwhelmingly African-American workers, young, really a young workforce, taking on this corporation that symbolizes monopoly and taking over the world by you know these, these tech giants. And, in, and of course, in Bessemer, Alabama, I mean, Joe Biden can really make a statement culturally, politically here. And, and then he did. I, I didn't even suggest like making a video. I didn't think of that. You know, so I think it's really I think it's really great. I don't know. Besides me, you know, being probably one of many people saying something about it. I have no idea. Um, I, I know, you know, I'm I mean, Stuart Applebaum, the president of RWDSU, was the president when I became the assistant director of organizing of the AFL-CIO in 1995. <laughs> so he's been president for a long time. That's the union involved. And I've known him all the, you know, all those years. And so I, I know that the union asked the White House to say something. But anyway, people ask the president of the United States to do things constantly. 99% of the time, they're not going to do it. Can I put a little political take on this and bounce it You're off so you? You're so cynical. I, I, yeah, I know. I know. I'm going to get uh, no. Go ahead. What's your, for being what's your political take? I mean, you look at the internal polling on in the last two elections, and it's clear that Donald Trump got a lot more support from blue collar workers than Republicans had in decades, um, probably before since before FDR. I mean, traditionally, the profile of Republican voters was, you know, uh, high end, high uh, uh, corporate folks in the suburbs, right. um, you know, and the blue collar workers voted solidly Democrat. And those numbers have shifted over the last uh, four years uh, during the Trump era. And Trump made real inroads with lower wage workers is, is part of this, a political move by Biden and his advisors to sort of win back uh, voters who had deserted the Democratic Party in recent years. I don't know, but if it is, it's about time. I mean, come on. So my district is the very symbol of what you're talking about. I represent two parts of two counties. It's no city, no rural. It's all inner suburbs of Detroit. I represent Oakland County, which is, you know, the symbol of where the auto executives live. It's obviously very oversimplified, but Macomb County, which is almost two thirds of my district, is literally the place, Michael, where the term Reagan Democrat was coined in the early 80s. It is, you know, the so-called white working class. Now it's much more diverse today, but here's my take on this. We Democrats should be pretty humble because over the last 40 years, even if the Republicans are evil, evil, and, you know, want to do horrible things, Democrats also went for a lot of so-called free trade agreements. We went, it was under Jimmy Carter that we deregulated trucking, deregulated the airlines, turned uh bankruptcy into a rinse that, you know, court executives would do to, you know, take off their obligations to communities and workers. Under Bill Clinton, we got rid of Glass-Steagall. Even under Barack Obama, who, I, you know, these are all people I supported, of course. But really, did we have to save Wall Street and the banking industry without making them save working class people's houses? So, yeah, it's about time 
Democrats stood up and said, hey, let's say working class. Let's say we're the champion of the poor people and the working class people and the middle class. Michael, when I grew up in, in Berkeley, Michigan in the 60s and 70s, a working class job was a middle class job. And it isn't anymore. And that's the only reason somebody like, you know, Trump could ever get close to the White House. You know, Congressman, you you mentioned um, Macomb County being more diverse than it used to be. Unions are a lot more diverse than they used to be. President Biden alluded to that in his statement. So, um, you know, I, I wonder if if uh, unions are now, in some ways, the way they've evolved, a, a once again, a more natural part of, say, the Biden coalition. Well, I, I mean, you know, the history of of race and sex in in the labor movement is super complicated. But remember, the Pullman Porters were African-American workers who formed a union and became a, a real locus of climbing in society in, you know, for, for black people in this country. When MLK was assassinated, he was at a, a organizing campaign of the sanitation workers in Memphis to join AFSCME. For many years, the wage gaps between women and men and between black workers and white workers, Latinos and white workers, are much less on unionized jobs. You know, you, the labor movement, with all its imperfections, has been a place where we can grow power of people of color in the society. And once we took over the AFL-CIO in 1995, and I ran the field operation for John Sweeney's campaign, and we, we changed our tune on immigrant workers and said, actually, we're not going to be nativist or anti-immigrant. Whoever works for living in this country is part of our family, and we support workers full stop, including immigrant workers. So yes, it's been an evolution, but the labor movement is hugely diverse today and needs to be more diverse because we have to organize child care workers. We have to organize many more service work. I mean, basically, if, Daniel, you look at it today, 100 years ago, in 1921, being an auto worker was not a good job. It was a dangerous, low-paid job. And because of the CIO and the UAW, after we passed the Wagner Act in 1935, it's been that long since we passed any legislation to make it easier to work for workers to organize in this country in the private sector. Literally, we haven't passed one sentence since 1935 that makes it easier for workers to organize. When we did that, the UAW organized. Now, today, we need a movement for workers in the service sector to organize. I'm a champion of job training and all that. I ran the job training system of the state of Michigan, and we can go into that. It's a whole different thing. But I don't care about that. Even if we have great job training, workers need voice and power in their job, in their industry, and in society. And the only way to do that is for workers like these 5,800 at Amazon to be able to organize union just because they damn well please. And Amazon is doing everything they can to stop them, legally or illegally. I just want to follow up on, on what you were saying about not having you know, done anything to make it easier for workers to organize in recent years. What Biden did with that statement, with that video, was clearly a huge shot in the arm. Uh, maybe the wrong metaphor to use these days, but for uh, <laughs> hey, people- Hey, shots in the arms, we like them. They're good. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> 
for um, you know people like yourself um, and people in, in the labor movement. Um, but at the end of the day, you know those are just words. Um, and so I guess what action uh, would you like to see the administration take in terms of legislation, executive orders, uh, uh, appointments? What should this administration do beyond say something symbolically that supports the movement? All right. So really quickly, there's a lot here. So there's the whole public sector and we need the president needs to be a great employer for federal workers. And we need to, to free up state and, and, and municipal workers to organize. And that's a one whole thing. But in talking about Amazon, we're talking about the private sector. The president came right in and I thought I was going to have to advocate for him to get rid of the general counsel of the National Labor Relations Board, because that's an appointment that generally goes on. But the guy there was so out, Peter Robb was so outrageously anti-union. Before I even started my campaign, Biden fired him. And then they put the deputy in and he fired her too. <laughs> Don't, this isn't a small thing. So appointments are important. But look, here's the bottom line. When I say we haven't done anything, let me be clear, it's Congress. It's the United States as a formal government. I'm saying we haven't passed a sentence of legislation. So we need Joe Biden to be the greatest president since Lyndon Johnson at dealing with the Senate. And somehow we've got to pass fundamental labor law reform, the PRO Act, which wouldn't just sort of save the unions that are there or prop them up. If you look at what happened in 1935, when we passed the National Labor Relations Act or the, or the Wagner Act, named after Senator Wagner of New York, who was the main sponsor, did some of the AFL unions that had pre-existed grow? Yeah, of course they did. And it was good for them. But the CIO was literally created by that. A whole new labor movement was born. My brothers, the same thing would happen today if we passed the PRO Act. Doug McCarran, the president of the Carpenters, came on to our Democratic Policy Council last night and our economic session and said he thinks his union could double its membership under the PRO Act in a short period of time. I'm, I'm cheering, right? But also, I think for all these sectors of workers that are basically not organized, whole new organizations might come up. And that's, you know, we'd have a, a flowering of new ways that workers in tech, in hotels, all the gig workers, they might organize and God bless them. I mean, that's the whole point of it, to let workers create their own structures to, to, to exercise their power in the, at their workplace and in the economy. Let's talk about Amazon a little bit, because Good. it's hard to imagine a company that dominates the American economy more right now than Amazon. You mentioned income disparities. I mean, you know, headed a company headed by the world's richest or second richest man, you know, Bezos versus Elon Musk, uh, uh, $178 billion now. Some people think Bezos could be our, you know, the world's first trillionaire. And he here we have workers in all these warehouses who are fulfilling the orders that make all those profits that have made Bezos so wealthy, uh, fighting for economic justice. Is Amazon too big? Does it need to be broken up? Uh, are there other steps that Congress and the administration need to take 
um, to rein in a company that is basically, you know, as powerful as any entity in this country. Well, I do think that we are just at the dawn of a new antitrust era where we have to look at these, not just Amazon, but these other companies that gobble up their competitors or um, companies that are in their ecosystem to prevent competition, to control everything around them. You know, people say that Amazon is really going to make most of its money through its web hosting business, not even by making us all sit on our couch and buy everything without standing up. But, uh, you know, well, let's stop right there. Why should they do both of those things on such a scale, right? So I think that, you know, anybody who, who took Econ 101 and studied what capitalism is supposed to mean and that the three of us all make coffins and sell coffins and all of our shops are right next to each other. And if you charge 50 cents more for your coffin, the person's going to come over to my stall and buy my coffin. I mean, give me a break. These humongous companies with these monopolistic powers don't bear any relationship to something like that. And so, yes, we have to look very seriously at revitalizing uh, market entry, competition. And it's not just the huge tech companies. In sector after sector, there's only two, three, four companies, whether, you know, rental cars, airlines, cell phones, cell service, on and on and on. And I, I think it's a major, major issue and we have to deal with it. But obviously, workers' rights can't wait for all that. You know, it has to happen in parallel because, you know, workers at these huge companies have to be able to form unions w- without their bosses being able to stop them. And it should just be up to the workers. You're leading a, a delegation down to Bessemer, I understand, uh, later this week. Yes, I'm so excited to Tell go me down. who's going and what you're going to do. Uh, Corey Bush is going, uh, Jamal Bowman, Nakima Williams, and Terry Sewell is the congresswoman from there. So she'll be kind of in, you know, she's part of it too. And, but besides Terry and me, those three are all freshmen. They're all super dynamic, you know, new members of Congress. And what are you going to do when you're down there? So the organizers on the ground have a little program for us. Um, I think we're going to meet workers at a shift change, you know, and and have um, a meeting with uh, workers who are organizing and then have a little, you know, speak out to the press, something like that. I just can't wait to see it. I mean, some of these things, you can't even believe it, right? Putting in a, a mailbox on site to like, you know, Amazon outrageously tried to insist on having an in-person election in the middle of a pandemic. Right. And then when they didn't get their way, now they had the USPS, they control everything, even the postal. So the postal service came, came in and, and create, put this mailbox. I think, you know, that they got the city to change the traffic light outside of the employee parking lot, because God forbid the organizers were talking to you as you, you know, waited for the light to change before you entered the parking lot or went home. And so they had the traffic light change just so you can't talk to each other. I mean, it's the big brother on steroids here. Alabama is a, a right to work state. Um, there's still a lot of hostility towards uh, labor unions uh, in a lot of parts of this country. To pass the kind of legislation that you were talking about, you know, in a Congress that's as divided as it is, a Senate that is, you know, 50 50. Uh, that's not going to be easy. Are you seeing um, any shifts at all among 
uh, your Republican colleagues? Will you be able to pass any legislation in, in, in Congress along these lines and in the Senate without getting rid of the filibuster? Talk about the political landscape for labor unions. I think it looks very tough. So I don't look, I do a lot of bipartisan things when I can, um, even as I'm you know, way out on the progressive end of things. Joe Biden needs to know that this is not a bipartisan matter. Republicans will never go for this. We've never been able to pass labor law reform because not even all Democrats, you know, Democrats will go for it. I remember in the Carter administrations, it was the two Democratic senators from Arkansas that wouldn't go along with labor law reform and, you know, so on and so forth. So I think it's it's not going to be bipartisan. And with a 50-50 Senate, it's very, very difficult. And without getting rid of the filibuster, it's very, very difficult. So we're, you know, look, I ran for Congress when I was 58, and I spent all the previous years in the labor movement and the environmental movement, human rights movement. I mean, I, you know, this is a movement question. It's going to take huge organizing to get this done. If the 2022 election goes, you know, super great, uh, maybe we'll have a, a different situation then. But I'm trying to pass the PRO Act right now. We're going to pass it next week through the House, and we're going to start putting pressure on the Senate. This kind of legislation happens when social forces make it happen. And you and I can't sit here and know what that moment's going to be. All we could do is contribute to it a little bit, our little each individual uh, push in that direction. But this is, I want you to know, I've got climate change legislation. I got human rights legislation. You know, I've got other priorities. Passing fundamental labor law reform is my number one priority. It would do more to transform American society than anything else we can do. Because not only does it change a worker's life at their workplace, and not only does it change whole industries, it changes the polity. Because workers who have unions, they create their own organization, they educate themselves, and they vote differently than other workers because they're not as subject to propaganda. Well, all the more reason you want to win back those blue collar workers who voted for Trump. Um, but <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, Absolutely. but Congressman, I want to thank you uh, for joining us, and uh, we will be uh, watching to see how it goes down in Bessemer. All Bessler. right, you guys are cool. Thanks for having me. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks a lot, a lot Congressman. <laughs> okay. okay, take care.